You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. And welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Hey, Kyla. Hi. <laughs> Here we are, Friday afternoon, we recording are. the podcast. It's supposed to go off Friday morning. Yep. Well, that's what happens when you have nothing but crisis all day long. Well, and none that we created either. No. 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 Just... Just government-created crisis sees The perils of driving law, but that is what we do. So it's, uh, You know, when we were building our office here, I realized that much of a person's work in their day is fixing things that were screwed up. And by somebody else very often, and occasionally by yourself. And I think of, you know, times in my life where I had an employer tell me to do something and I didn't do it quite the way they wanted or I, I, you know, interpreted it or I just, you know, didn't do it quite the way that I probably should have that I thought about it a little bit more and it required some work. And now I see that, you know, I don't, that doesn't generally happen to me anymore, but now I see it all over the place, you know, here when we were building our office, you know, what was our delay? Well, our, you know, our contractor didn't do read the, the, the drawings as well as they should have, or somebody didn't deliver something that they were supposed to deliver on time, or you know somebody misestimated how long something was going to take. So much of life is, you know, poor economic results as a result of mistakes. Yep. And here we are dealing with government mistakes today, and you know how frustrating is that. Because the taxpayers are the ones on the hook and our clients and us. Yep. It's very long. But this is where we're at. So speaking of taxpayers being on the hooked, um, (laughs) that's not really much of a transition. But a uh, city councillor in Saanich has put forward a, a proposal to try and put some pressure on the um, provincial government to change the way that violation tickets are fined. Well, many people think that tickets are a tax, Kyla. So there's your transition. (laughs) They do. Uh, (laughs) They are, really. In a sense, they are, because they go into government coffers and general revenue. Yeah, it's just another type of road tax. Uh, Government cash grab. Exactly. And <laughs> so. You um, okay there? Yeah. Um, so Teal Phelps Bondaroff um, is bringing this forward to the Uni- Union of BC Municipalities. Um, at first trying to get um, Saanich Council to agree to it. Um, and this would be four motions. Um, one of which uh, is to require um uh to require municipalities to have more powers to use red light and speeding cameras and 
the other, well, there's four, but two of the four relate to driving. The fourth one um, is to ask the province to tie traffic fines to the driver's ability to pay. So I thought we could talk about those two motions. Well, that's the one that's probably the most contentious. Um, ever since we had this case from Finland that was widely reported, because apparently they do this in Finland, and there was a uh, hockey player, I guess, who had something like a $70,000 fine from a speeding ticket. $106,000, yes. Yeah. Um, there's all this discussion. Anytime you you put something on TikTok or Twitter, there's always somebody who chimes in. It should be connected to your to your your salary, your earnings, your wealth, and it should be a you know if it's going to actually hurt because how does it hurt somebody who's a hockey player to have a hundred and thirty eight dollar speeding ticket? Yeah. And it, every time that comes out, I think, oh my gosh, you know, there's so many things that bother me about about that. I I understand that like the basic angle of it, but can you imagine the bureaucracy necessary? You got to show up with your tax returns to be sentenced on a ticket. Well, the government has access to your tax information. They could just write a piece of legislation that allows them to access it. Well, the provincial (laughs) government doesn't necessarily have information about your federal income tax. (laughs) It would be difficult when it comes to people who are not from the province. Yeah, it would be a huge problem for them. Uh, and then there's lots of people who um, probably, you know, may not have any income that's coming in. They might just have wealth. Yep. So they might not have any, any, any much of anything to report on their taxes. Uh, you know, if you, if you've got $4 million uh, worth of property holdings, you might be bringing in a very small amount of money every year, uh, be quite wealthy. Look, Paul, my properties don't pay my traffic tickets. I know. You also don't have that much worth of property. But imagine if you've got a bunch of, you know, $15 million, say, worth of property, commercial property that's bringing you in a bunch of revenue into a holding company, and then you pay yourself nothing out of that holding company. Yeah. You know, you get to dodge the bullet, whereas the person who's getting it as a paid salary um, has uh, has the huge hit. Yeah. And, you know, people, uh, wealthy people find all sorts of ways to sort of hide their income. You have professionals, you and I know this as lawyers, um, using professional corporations to keep most of their money in their corporation, as opposed to paying themselves. So on paper, your salary may be small, but you may actually be bringing in, you know, more revenue than that. Sure. Because your corporation's making the money and down the road, you're saving that money in your corporate holdings. And ultimately, when you retire, because like you and I, we don't have a pension. Um, you know, you can pay yourself out of the corporate account, which brings me back to that Crown Council job listing. I was thinking about that the other day. What a positive motivation for somebody who's a lawyer in their 30s. Not you, maybe, because you wouldn't want the pay cut. But uh, don't, 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 don't quit. Um, but but uh, you know, getting that pension is a is a significant. Uh, attractive feature of that job working for the crown yep absolutely now the other proposal that is being put forward is interesting the idea of like allowing um icbc or sorry allowing municipalities to have more sort of control over 
traffic cameras and whether traffic cameras are being installed in various municipalities. Yeah. So the question is why to me, what, where is the hue and cry that, that, uh, calls out for this? And if there is an issue with respect to an intersection, cannot somebody from the city from the municipality simply write a letter to the provincial government and say this intersection is a concern to us for these reasons will you review it to consider putting up intersection cameras like why create another level of bureaucracy now the city has their own cameras you know like the government created it was fairly rational their own program and they wanted to identify high risk intersections yeah. And so just because you've got some some local politician who doesn't like the way he sees some people driving through a certain intersection, it may be appropriate or maybe not. Mm-hmm. The circumstances. And 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 it comes back to and I'm sorry I'm jumping ahead maybe for you, but this intrusiveness of camera life on us. You know, we have known, I mean, it was, there was 1984, written back in 1948, predicted the future, and then 1984 came along and it didn't happen, um, quite in the way that it was described by Orwell. But we have been attuned to the fact that it is dehumanizing to be governed by robots and to be watched by cameras uh, all the time is an intrusion into our privacy. <laughs> Yeah. And, and takes away something substantive about being a human to me. Um, and, I, you know, I'm relatively pleased with the way the provincial government, frankly, rolled out what they did. But they also did it saying, we're not going to go too far. And now you've got some local politician saying, come on, let's go too far. And I, I want somebody to be to keep this in check. I mean, I, right now it's, uh, I guess, the privacy commissioner. But I, I think we're going to have to end up expanding that at some point. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it is, um, you know, we're we're also seeing um, so much more. You know, I got a judgment this week about a police officer going into a hospital room and observing what happened in the hospital room. And the court didn't really have a big problem with it. I have a big problem with it. I think police shouldn't just be able to walk into pr- spaces that we expect to be private. And yet they apparently can and do. And that's that's worrisome. Yeah, it's really worrisome. Um I, you know, I I maybe people would look at us uh looking at the role of the state and think that, you know, who cares if you've done nothing wrong? Why would you not want a police officer coming into you while your hospital room while you're half naked? Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, I don't mind, uh, you know, being part of a medical study. I'm okay with that. Bring some doctors in there who are learning. But I don't want a cop coming into my hospital room. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be on camera monitored by the government everywhere I go. And I just feel like we should be perpetually pushing back against those things because I, I'm looking at it, you know, 
you know, this is something we don't talk about. I guess we did talk a little bit about AI, but I'm freaked right out about, and when I was a kid, I was freaked out about robots, robots taking over jobs. It's one of the reasons I went into law was because I thought lawyers been around for 2000 years. I don't see how they can, uh, can automate it. Um, now, of course, we look at AI and people are hoping that they can uh, automate uh, lawyers out of the equation. Then they'll automate judges out of the equation. They're looking already at automating police, the robocop idea. Um, you know, at what point are, is it going to be that we are just merely governed by by robots um, and and some sort of technology? And I, I really, I just feel we need to be pushing back. Yeah, I mean, you've made the the governed by robots uh, comment on on this before, but we're you know we're getting inching closer and closer to that being the reality. Well, and, and there's a good arguments to be made in some respects for it. You know, I I think it's dehumanizing, and I think it's like taking away from. We've looked at this earth as the human's playground. Um, at the same time, you know, it's our lives can be are miserable and short. And by the time you hit 40, you're just in pain. Um, and we maybe should be considering other creatures on the earth as having the same valid claim over it as we do. But at the same time, you know, we're, we're still humans. We're still biological creatures. We still make mistakes and should have feelings and be caring. And it's very hard for us to come up with a consensus about many things and are we just going to give it up to to ai because we're looking at it and saying it can be objective you know i i remember i told you about the there's a malcolm gladwell book where they discuss um software they created to uh make bail decisions in new york state and they compared it to the judges and the judges were making credibility assessments at the same time. And they found that the the judges were wrong a significant portion of the time. And the software ended up being right most of the time. <laughs> so you're looking at it and you're saying to yourself, okay, well, you know, a lot of people would think that that, that, that method is the thing. Yeah. Same with like, using approved screening devices to punish people. Everybody always says, you know, freaks out at you when you post things on the internet saying, look, you know, these are things you need to avoid, uh, do to avoid getting a drunk driving charge. And the answer is always don't drive drunk. Well, yeah. look at approved screening devices. You know, we, we, in that respect, we're being governed purely by a, a machine, Which a hokiest, the hokiest machine you could possibly imagine. Which brings you know? us to our next topic. Which is? which is now Mad Canada pushing the federal government to try and regulate in the same way that they've done in the United States, regulate for people to have alcohol sensing technology in their cars and for it to be mandated that new cars manufactured or imported into Canada be equipped with this alcohol sensing technology. Well, you and I have talked about this a lot over the last few years because we, we've known it was coming. Uh, we've had interlocks in people's vehicles in BC for a while. Ford introduced it as an available option on Ford Escorts or Ford Focuses a while back, I guess, a Focus. Um, and nobody bought them. Nobody bought them. 
Um, and, um, and, uh, you know, I've been saying for 20 years, saying to attorney generals and solicitor generals, when I run into them, if you guys are actually serious about it, put it in school buses, those yellow school buses. Yeah. Um, because we're every week I see somewhere, a school bus driver is arrested for impaired driving somewhere in North America. There's probably 20 doing it right now. When you think of the number of school buses that are out there and it's three fifty or whatever time we're recording this. Um, but they've got a huge problem if they intend to do an interlock type thing. Uh, but there's no doubt that Canada will end up just following suit and mad wants to take credit for it. It's going to happen no matter what. Yeah. I'm concerned about the technology because there's two methods that they're looking at to do it. (laughs) Both of which are going to capture innocent people. One is, one is using a skin sensing technology. But Mm -hmm. if you just used hand sanitizer or touched anything with ethanol or even just pumped gas because your gasoline has ethanol in it or refilled your washer fluid, you're going to you're going to set that thing off and you're not going to be able to drive. Yeah. What happens when you when you're somewhere cold? (laughs) What happens when you you've been out snowmobiling all day and you've loaded your snowmobiles up into your truck? And during the course of that, of course, you're dealing with potentially fluids from that thing and you get in your truck and it's minus 20 and you can't start it, (laughs) you know, or you can start it and you're only can drive five kilometers an hour or something with lights flashing all over the place. Or if you're like Mr. Boudreaux from the Boudreaux decision from the Supreme Court of Canada, where it's minus minus 20, it's Quebec winter, you need to wait for a taxi and you got to start the engine so you don't freeze to death while you're waiting for the only taxi in the small town to get to you. Or you're out hunting, and this is always the example, and you're drinking with your friends (laughs) and you might be over 80 and one of your friends is shot in a hunting accident Yep. and you have to drive him into town. Yeah. You can't start your truck in those circumstances. Just put your friend's bloody hand on it. Yeah, exactly. Well, what if your <laughs> friends your friends probably worse? Um the uh I mean you can think of a hundred scenarios, and then you can also think of the many ways that people could defeat it. I mean, they might have eye sensing technology, but what happens if you know with your glasses or something, or you have an eye problem? They use um, they use this skin technology in alcohol monitoring for like bail conditions and probation in the U S it's something called yeah. scram and yeah. people do things like put prosciutto between themselves and the device. So exactly. the device tests the prosciutto. But why use prosciutto? Why not just use regular old ham? Cause uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's thinner. Maybe. Um, you also hunk of, your, of cured ham under your, <laughs> under your wristband. Get your 10 year old kid to, to press on the sensor. Hey, Jimmy, I know Papa's had a few too many. Can you just press on that thing there? And then you also have to wonder about about gloves. (laughs) Like what happens when it's cold? You got to put your hand on some freezing cold thing. You have to wonder too, about the potential impact of like, um, alcohol, um, alcohol from, um, ambient air in the car. Like even sure. how can you be a designated driver if you get in the car and there's other people who've been drinking and the ambient air sensor picks up the alcohol of the other people? 
At the police station, when they go to take your breath test in a criminal investigation, the, the instrument purges itself of the room air before taking the breath sample. And if it detects ambient alcohol, it aborts the test. But you can't, you know, you can't take the person out of the room when it's a car. Are you going to have to take your uh, your car in for calibration every 30 days? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a requirement for regular routine calibration. These, you know, there's no alcohol sensing technology that doesn't require calibration, you know, outside of every 14 days or every 28 days. How long until the car dealerships are going to have to start reporting that your car showed that it locked out 10 times in the since its last service? Yeah. Take it for an oil change and it's your car's locked you out 10 times. And uh, they'll legislate that the car dealership has to report it to the superintendent of motor vehicles. Well, and who's this data being reported to that the car's collecting to? Like, where are your privacy interests? Oh, they'll just create a new new government organization <laughs> to collect that information along with the cameras in your car. <laughs> oh. oh, it's so disturbing. But yeah, Mad Canada wants to take credit for things unfolding as it's going to because this is happening in the U.S. and there's going to be lots of implications. And I noticed one of the things that was discussed in your TikTok that people were talking about that I've thought about but never seen mentioned anywhere is... Um, price of used cars yep it'll drive up the price of used cars for a while so most impaired driving cases that we see they're not brand new cars right they're usually and we could probably say that on average they're three to ten years old yeah um so there won't be an immediate impact um i don't know if people just don't want to take a chance in a new car um you know New cars, maybe uh, uh, sometimes they're bought by companies and things like that, and people are less likely to do that. People who can afford maybe a new car uh, are more likely to uh, to take a taxi or something. Um, but for whatever reason, it's like three to 10 years old in the average car range. So it'll take a few years before those cars come in. But then the people who are actual problems, like the people who are the chronic repeat drunk drivers, I'll tell you right now, those people are going to be doing two things. One, figuring out how to defeat the system. Because there's those people are out there. I worked with a guy who used to carry a balloon in his car before he'd go to the park um, to to put on his uh, his interlock. This was 30 years ago. But um, there'll be those people. And then there'll be the other people, which is, uh, uh, or the, 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 there'll be those people who just drive an old car for forever. Yep. Well. That brings us, Paul, to the newest segment in our podcast, which is... We have a new segment? Yes, we have a new segment. Um, Starting this week, Eric McGracken will be joining us every week. Um, Well, probably every week. Maybe not every week. He'll be joining us as often as he can uh, for a short little segment we call a McGracken moment. Ladies and gentlemen, let loose the law and justice Kraken Eric McGraken. Eric McGracken here. Welcome to the McGracken moment. 
I've spent a lot of time ranting about British Columbians' injury rights under the ICBC no-fault system and just how short-changed many injured people are. But I want to talk about vehicle damage for a moment. Here's something a lot of folks don't know and a lot of folks are learning the hard way. If you accidentally don't renew your insurance, slips your mind, maybe you were confused about the deadline, mistakes happen. But for whatever reason, if you're on the road and your insurance is out of date in British Columbia and somebody smashes into your car, you're not at fault. Maybe they run a red light. Maybe they run a stop sign. Maybe they're texting and driving or doing something ridiculous, just rear-ending to you. You're not at fault. You're also screwed. ICBC, if you don't have insurance, obviously doesn't have to pay. But it used to be you could sue the at-fault driver. The at-fault driver, through the lawsuit, would be responsible for the damages they caused. Not just your injuries, but also your property damage. The law right now has been updated, and not a lot of people know about this, that your right to sue even for vehicle damage is gone. So you cannot sue the person who's responsible for the crash, and you can't rely on an insurance policy that's not there. So word to the wise, make sure your insurance is up to date, because ICBC has the best of both worlds. They make sure the money comes in, and they've rigged the law, so it's very rare that the money has to come out. So make sure you've got vehicle insurance collision coverage if you're on the road and you get smashed, you don't want to learn this unpleasant lesson where you can't sue the at-fault driver. Geez, I'm so happy to have Eric McGracken on the podcast. You know, Eric and I worked together 20 years ago uh, in the same firm, and uh, he's just such a lovely guy. It was fun to work with, interesting, thoughtful, and then he went on to be right the probably most popular legal podcast in BC, certainly the most popular for personal injury. And it's read by basically every personal injury lawyer every day. Yep. Well, it's, uh, it's going to be a real treat hearing about the uh, rules and regulations and trials and tribulations of uh, the sort of civil side of driving from him in weekly snippets or close to weekly snippets. And I'm, uh, I'm excited that he's agreed to do this, but I'm also excited, Paul. About the ridiculous driver of the week. A surprising bestseller? The pinpoint method of cross examination is catching on. Law firms and new litigators across Canada have caught on to cross examination, the pinpoint method. Kyla Lee's straightforward handbook that teaches you effective cross examination skills. Yahoo! So, what is it? I don't, I have not even no clue this week. This week, it's a Vancouver Police Department office. Okay, I think I know what it's going to be then. All right, let's hear it. A training or a social event at which a number of Vancouver Police Department members attended in Burnaby. And they left. And on the way home, one officer made a left turn and ended up in collision. And as a result of the collision, um, an impaired driving investigation ensued. But numerous members of the Vancouver Police Department attended the collision scene and allegedly attempted to interfere with the Burnaby RCMP's investigation into the VPD member 
who was involved in the collision. Um, at one point, one officer uh, tried to um, remove some items from the police uh, officer's car, and the RCMP officer tried to stop him, and he grabbed the RCMP officer by the arm. Uh, there was a, an, a superintendent um, or, or supervisor who allegedly threatened to take the job of one of the RCMP members. So there's a, a lot of hot water. Oh, my God. This is the ridiculous Vancouver police of the week. This is horrible. Yeah. I mean, this reflects so badly. Boy, there better be a very clear and transparent explanation of how the investigation into this was undertaken. It better not be by VPD. No. Um, and it better be from somebody probably out of province. No, I think this, the, is, uh, this is awful. I want to know who the officers are who are involved in this. I, I want their names. I mean, the the Independent Investigations Office, I believe, is looking into it, or the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner. Um, they're looking into it. So there's already official investigations into police misconduct that are underway. Um, wow. You know, it's just the, not just the potentially drinking and driving on the job, but so much more. No, it's that. the act. It's the activity after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the activity after that, grabbing an arm, another police officer by the arm. Well, so this is something that we've seen in the last decade or so since the IRP scheme came out is that police officers often don't seem to understand their role should um, be should be deeply embedded with humility. Um, and we see some occasional thuggish behavior. And that's what that sounds like. Who would ever think that they could touch a police officer? Grab their arm. Well, another police officer um, who thinks that it's okay because they're used to sort of stopping somebody from picking up things that they don't want other people to have, right? I hope those police officers are not on general duty or out doing traffic enforcement or anything like that right now. Well, one of them is alleged to be a superintendent, the highest position you can get. Wow. Well, um, you know, we have lots of friends in the VPD. We have lots of friends in police forces across the province. I hope none of them were involved in it. People make mistakes and do stupid things um, from time to time. And this is uh, maybe ridiculous driver of the week, but it is the ridiculous Vancouver police officers who attended well, and in, I, in, involved in this. I should also say that, you know, the police officers are often the ones in the comments on, on TikTok and on Twitter and news stories and everywhere else saying things like, if you don't want a DUI, don't drink and drive. And you should take responsibility if you did something wrong. But then you see when push comes to shove, they don't actually have that attitude when it comes to themselves and one of their own. No, that's true. Um, we probably discussed it uh, on this podcast. We've never discussed it in the office, but one of the worst things you could do as a police officer is identify yourself as a police officer when you're under investigation for any traffic offense. Don't let your badge be seen. Don't say anything unless you're specifically asked. Um, and even then you should keep your mouth shut. Uh, but if you want to ensure that your, your job, your career is not imperiled, uh, you know, don't stop, start dropping that you're a, you know, that you're a member. Because yeah. the moment you do, that officer that you're dealing with, you've just put in a 
uh, situation where, you know, they'll, they, you are asking them to put their career on the line for you. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, any smart officer is not going to do it. Well, and we even saw what was it late last year, um, information coming out about a, an RCMP officer who may have gotten some favorable treatment by another RCMP officer after passing out in a drive through Yep. So, so, well, this is upsetting to hear, uh, you know, I hate to see it because it reflects so badly. Um, so often, I mean, you, you, you're dealing with an organization with hundreds of people in it, uh, and consequently not everybody's going to make good decisions all the time. And you have to be reasonably fair about that, but it's, um, it sure just undermines and damages credibility when you see it. You know, remember years back, we had the Abbotsford police where seven officers were suspended at the same time. And and we had some files that ended up being stayed. I remember there was an Abbotsford police officer who was on video stepping on uh, somebody who was handcuffed on the ground. And then we think back to the BPD years ago, you know, taking uh, people to Stanley Park and beating them up. And then that officer on the downtown east side who pushed the elderly uh, person on the road onto the ground uh, walking by handcuffing a 12 year old girl who just wanted to open a bank account yep yeah i mean it just seems like it goes on and on and on um and uh it's human frailty i get all of that but what upsets me the most is the holier than thou attitude in the comments in your tiktoks and and twitter and things like that when you know Police officers are no more moral than anybody else, no more likely to be honest or dishonest than anybody else. And we give them a, a huge, um, a, 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 a huge extra amount of credit and credibility yep. when, uh, frankly, it's, uh, it just doesn't reflect reality. Yep. Agreed. Well, on that note, that depressing note, <laughs> podcast. And if you need to uh, find us uh, to talk about a driving law related issue, you can find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call at 604 685 8889 or tune in next week um, uh, uh, for another exciting episode of Driving Law. <laughs>